Well, good morning. Again, I suppose I should say. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, for today. Uh, In our third sermon in the series on Daniel, uh, what we've looked at so far... Uh, The first week we looked at how you can stand out for God. Second week we looked at uh, how you can stand up for what's right. And today we're going to be looking at uh, how we can stand for what matters, or stand perhaps for what matters most. And we're going to be talking about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, The story of Daniel um, in the lion's den is perhaps one of those ones that we deal with in Sunday school when we're kids, but then when we become adults, because we've dealt with it so much, Uh, from Sunday school, we sort of don't really uh, teach on it very much for adults. And so today, uh, I really just want to take the time and sort of figure out uh, what this story is and how it uh, matters. So uh, this is Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and it says this, uh, If it it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now, straight away from last week, you'll notice that there's a shift. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king. Last week in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was the king over Babylon, and that has shifted here until chapter 6, uh, because at the end of our last sermon, we, uh, we came to the realization that Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. Uh, he went absolutely crazy, and he started uh, walking around on all fours, eating the grass, uh, and acting like a wild animal. And so Nebuchadnezzar's reign, his time as ruler of the Babylonian Empire, had come to an end And instead, Darius is now the king over everything that the Babylonian Empire once was uh, in control of. And so you've got an incredible power shift. Now everything is come under Darius. And you have to remember that Darius doesn't really know who Daniel is. Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who put him through trials and tests and who uh, had his dreams interpreted. So he knew who Daniel was and the power of the true God. But this guy Darius here, he doesn't quite know yet. And so, sorry, that's freaking me out a little bit. I don't like things behind me. Um, And so so Darius is now uh, in charge. He's he's, he's large, he's in charge, and he's going to be setting up. So he sets up 120 satraps over the kingdom. These are, uh, think of these as as like governors or or vice regents, people who are going to have authority and who are going to tell people what to do, and they're responsible for carrying out the king's commandments. And in verse 2 it says, And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king could suffer no loss. And so what you've got is 120 people who were like governors out over the people, but then you've got three people above those. Daniel's one of them, and what their job is is to make sure that nothing falls through the cracks. They're there to coordinate. They're there uh, in charge of these people uh, to make sure that the king doesn't suffer any losses. No taxes go uncollected. Nothing that the king should gain should be lost. Uh, These are really influential and powerful people. In verse 3, it says this, And this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so what Darius was going to do was make Daniel his number two person in the entire empire. Daniel was about to get the big promotion at work. He was about to go from just ruling 120 satraps uh, to ruling everything and to be in control of everything and so Daniel was about to come into a significant amount of power 
And as this story progresses, I want you to see this. When God raises you up, I want you to understand that you should expect others to tear you down. Unfortunately, sometimes this is other Christians tear you down. Most of the time it's other people, but sometimes it's even Christians that will tear you down. When God raises you up, expect resistance. Expect that things are going to go badly from outside sources. Because if you read scripture, the entire history of the Bible is people who God has put in places and then immediately other people try and tear them down. Um, It starts with Adam. Adam gets put into a position of power and authority. And God created Eve. No, she's not the one. Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve in the garden. So as soon as God has established them as ruling over the earth, Satan comes to tempt them and to tear them down. Abraham is put into a position of power and authority. He's given the blessing of God. God says to him, I'm going to make your descendants more than the sands of the sea, of the, the shores. So if you look out into the desert and you see the amount of sand that's there, your descendants are going to outnumber them. If you look into the heavens and try and count the stars, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars. And as soon as Abraham is put into this position of power and authority, he again is tempted by his own uh, failings and his own shortcomings and he tries to go around what God wants him to do. If you read scripture, when God raises people up, other people try and tear them down. Jesus Christ himself, who was put into a position of power by the Father, of teaching the true kingdom of God, is betrayed by one of his closest friends to death, and then one of his other closest friends deny that he even knows him. When God raises you up, expect others to tear you down. And what we're going to read here in verse 4 is this. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. When you are serving God, there's a spelling mistake, but when you are serving God, let your behavior be beyond reproach. Reproach. Daniel's behavior uh, when he was serving God was so upright that when people looked at his behavior, they could find absolutely no fault with them. Uh, How would you like that? Like for yourself, how would you like it? Like you know, you're at work that you have people come in to like try and, and nitpick apart what you're doing, and when they if they get to the end of their time, they say, I can't find anything wrong with it. Like isn't that the goal? Isn't that the dream? I mean, maybe you guys aren't perfectionists like me. Like I like everything to be perfect. I like everything to be lined up, organized. I like the way things are, and that's how I am. Uh, it maybe you're not the same, but if you are the same, wouldn't it be nice to have someone come in completely uh, under a microscope, take everything that you are and look at it, and then at the end of the day say, I can't find anything wrong with this. That was Daniel. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to do everything that God commanded him to do and do it well. He was able to serve God and have his behavior beyond reproach. This idea of our behavior being beyond reproach is not just an Old Testament thing. Uh, if you look into the New Testament, First Timothy three one verses uh, chapter uh, sorry, First uh, Timothy chapter three verses one to two says this: The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. 
If you want to be in a leadership position in church, you need to be above reproach. First Peter ch- uh, chapter 2, verses 9-12 through 12 says this, uh, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to an ethnicity or, or an ethnic race. He's talking to Christians where he says that you are a, ro- a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let your behavior amongst the Gentiles be of such good reproach that when people look at you and look at your behavior, they say, man, that's what their God is like? I want in on that. When you, when you behave as a Christian, when you have the label as Christian, there is a certain way that you are supposed to behave. Now, I know a lot of people don't like this, and I know I'm going to be banging on a drum, whatever, I don't care. I've got the microphone, you don't, so you have to listen. When you call yourself a Christian, it means that you represent Christ. So, let's sort of drill down on what that means. If you represent Christ and you act like a jerk, it means people are going to think that Jesus is a jerk. Right? Can I I boil it down any simpler than that? If you are a Christian and you proclaim to be a Christian and you don't love people or you're selfish or you get angry at the drop of a hat and you have no grace and no forgiveness and no love, then that's what people are going to think about Jesus. So you have a responsibility. Um, in Christianity, we're, we're really quick to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm loved by God and I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven and I'm saved and everything is great and all that is great and wonderful and true. But with that salvation comes responsibility. With your salvation comes the responsibility that you are going to act in a way that brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus. The number one uh, Pew Research uh, is a company that conducts polls about Christianity. One of their number one statistics that they always find when they ask non-Christians to describe Christians, uh, the word that comes to mind of most people is hypocritical. That they believe that Christians are hypocrites in their nature. Just once I would like that survey to come back And the number one thing that people, non-Christians, thought about Christians is that they love others. You know, kind of like Jesus said. I'm just saying. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What Peter is saying here in chapter 3. Live your life in such a way that when that people have to invent lies about your bad behavior. And that when they invent those lies about your bad behavior, people who know you and know the way you behave are like, no, that's not them. Like, that's the goal. And that's Daniel. That's what Daniel's been doing. So we're going back to our story here. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went up to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. To establish very quickly what has happened. 
Daniel is in a position of power and authority. Other people don't like it. So they have tricked the king into making Daniel's religion illegal. They have tricked the king, who is the ruler of everything, to make the fact that Daniel prays illegal with a death sentence attached to it. So when Daniel goes into his room and opens the window and prays, he knows that if he is going to be seen, he is going to die. And what you need to know is that kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Because here's the, here's the reality. Too, too many of us try to stand under our own strength. We try to stand like what we're doing, uh, like, like we could possibly have the strength to do this ourselves. Like, I'm not sure if you've uh, read scripture, but if you read the commands, it is fairly obvious right up front that it is pretty much impossible to do everything right yourself. In fact, if you read scripture, uh, I'm humming, why am I humming? Can you turn the, the main down just a, a, a tad? Gracias. If you read the, just the Ten Commandments, let's just start there. Ten Commandments, basis of most morality, right? You agree? Right? Ten Commandments, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder. Pretty easy stuff. Um, how many of you can raise your hand and say, I've never broken one of the Ten Commandments? Anyone? Anyone at all? Nope? Okay, that's my point. You can't fully obey Scripture by yourself. That's the entire point of the cross. There is nothing that you can do by yourself in your own power for salvation. You need to rely on God to stand. And so when you kneel to pray, that is what gives you the strength to stand. And here's what's really interesting. Daniel doesn't announce it, he just does it. I I like this in the story. I'm not sure if you catch this in the story. Daniel doesn't start a Facebook page that says, going against the government, join me now. Like, he doesn't start a social media movement. He doesn't send out pigeon carriers to people that says, I'm praying at this time, this time, and this time. Join me so that we can flood the world with prayers. He just does it. He just goes for it and does it. He doesn't have a parade. He doesn't make a big motion or a big mess. He simply says, God has required me to do this. I'm going to do it. Too often we as Christians know what God has called us to do, but we, we are afraid of doing it, and so we fall back into the trap of making a big noise about it so that we don't actually have to end up doing it. Like, I've met these people. Maybe you haven't, but I've met these people. Tell you what he didn't do. He didn't start a hashtag trending. Hashtag, I'm so spiritual. I got friends, I love them to death. But some of the things they post on Instagram, like they take pictures of their Bible and then like, starting the day right. I'm like, I, just start the day right. You don't need to show me. Like I'm fairly certain Jesus said um, that your prayer life is to between, between you and the Lord. It doesn't say that we bring uh, our personal prayer life. It's corporate prayer. And we do that every Sunday as we, we pray together corporately and we share our prayer requests. But your personal relationship with God is just that personal. It doesn't belong on social media. It doesn't, believe, it doesn't belong over coffee shop gossip. It sure as heck doesn't belong over the telephone gossip chains. Your relationship with Jesus is just that. It's yours. Daniel doesn't announce it. He just does it. Every day, 
for his entire captivity, he's opened the windows to face Jerusalem. Because he believed that's where the presence of God dwelt, is in the temple. So he opened in a sign of respect to his God. He opened the windows and he got down on his knees and he prayed. He prays for strength. He prays for guidance and for wisdom. He prays that the Holy Spirit fills his heart. Second point. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. Now this is very hard for us to accept, especially uh, as people. Um, again, perfectionists have this a little, a little harder. A-type personalities have this even harder. Those that you know keep notes during the sermon, those are A-type personalities, just in case you're wondering who I'm talking to. And it's very difficult for us, when you do what's right, to trust God with the results. Because we want to succeed, we want to achieve, we want to accomplish. We want to make sure that everything's going right. And those are good things, but they're not good when we take away the trust that we have in God. We need to trust God in what we do. Amen? Trusting in God is, is the hallmark of what Christian behavior should be about. Interestingly about the story of Daniel, like we know how this story ends, but not all stories end this way. This is one of the lies that is permeating the, the Christian church. If you love Jesus, then everything is going to work out great for you. Yeah, no. That's not the way it works. When you trust in Jesus, eternity is going to work out for you. But this life will not always. Things are going to happen. We did a sermon series through the book of Jonah. Sometimes there is going to be a storm that is created by God in your life. And sometimes you won't survive it. You, you'll come very close to not surviving it. Not all stories end the way that Daniel's ends. Your story probably, probably won't if you look at just sheer statistics. It would be nice if it did, but it doesn't. And the problem is, is there are too many candy-coated preachers who'll say, come to Jesus, everything in life is going to be perfect. Except that's devoid of what Scripture teaches. Jesus himself said, if you think people persecute me, how much more do you think they're going to persecute you just for the sake of my name? Jesus said, sell your cloak and buy a sword. He said, start packing because people are coming after you for the sake of my name. In the book of Revelation, there are martyrs under the throne of God who died for the sake of the name of Jesus. It's estimated in the last year, 2017, 60,000 Christians were put to death throughout the world. Now that statistic is not unique. That's pretty average for the martyrdom that some people face. Honest, I am going to get very mad if I hear one more American or Australian say that they're being oppressed in their respective countries. We don't know what true oppression feels like. Because we are in countries where you cannot get executed for your faith. Right? You may feel like the government's moving in a way that you don't want it to move. And that's fine. But you're not going to end up with your head disconnected from your body because of it. That's oppression. And that's in a lot of countries. A lot of countries. Daniel chapter 6 verses 22. 
to 23. My God sent his angel. So uh, when scripture was read to you, we ended with the cliffhanger. You had Darius standing over the top of the pit saying, uh, Daniel, did your God spare you? And Daniel replies, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in God. This story is not encouraging you to jump into a lion's den. Okay? Too often we'll read a story like this and be like, yeah, see, look, God will save me if I jump into the lion's den. Daniel didn't want to go into the lion's den. He didn't volunteer to go into the lion's den. He wasn't taking one for the team. He was simply following what God told him to do, which was pray. Too often what we'll do is try and do what's called forced martyrdom. We'll try and take one in for the team by pushing and forcing the situation. And we don't need to do that. What we need to do is follow the example of Daniel and simply last line there, because he trusted in his God, trust in your God. That's it. Don't try and force God's hand. Don't try and force your own reputation by being a a forced martyr. Simply trust in God. The story of Daniel is about his trust and his obedience. Obedience is another word that we don't really like to use. I like to use it all the time, especially when my niece and nephew come to town. Parents, maybe you feel the same way. Obedience towards God means doing the things that God said. Now, in, in this, a lot of people will say, well, don't question what God has for you. You're allowed to question, believe it or not. There are plenty of stories in Scripture of good people, godly people, questioning what God is doing in their lives. I'm very fond of the story of of David, who wrote half of the Psalms, and from one page to to the other, he seemed almost bipolar. God, you're so far from me. Why can't I feel your presence? God, you're so near me. I can't get rid of you. What's going on? Like literally next to each other in the Bible. Questioning God is not sinful. Not listening to God's response is. Do you get that difference? There's a difference there, and we need to get that as Christians. Questioning why this is happening to me is not sinful, but when God says something to you, you need to listen to it. So, this is, this is where we've, we've covered today. When God raises you up, people tear you down. Kneeling to pray gives you the strength to stand and do what's right and trust God with the results. We end our time together today. What happens in this story is quite simple. Daniel trusts in God. People try and tear him down. But his faith doesn't waver in God. He doesn't have faith in himself. He has faith in God. He doesn't trust in himself. He trusts in God. Everything that he does is about his relationship with God. So that leads us to one natural question. How's your relationship with God? Do you trust him with everything? Don't just trust him with the the, the easy stuff. Like you need to trust him with the hard stuff as well. Like you need to trust him with everything. It's it's really interesting when you look in the Bible and and you find the word that's used for everything, the, the Greek version of it, it actually just means everything. 
Like I know sometimes people like to make it more compli complicated than it is, but you need to trust God with everything. Every aspect of your life needs to be in His hands. And when you do that, it's not about then reckless living. Like, I'm not going to be like, I trust God with everything, so I'm not driving with my seatbelt on. Woo! No, that's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> what I'm talking about is that when you trust God with the hard things, with the easy things, when you have relationships in your life that blow up, when you have work situations where you don't feel like you're fulfilling or accomplishing what God has for you, and the monotony of life day in, day out just, just keeps getting you down. Do you trust in God? When you get good news, do you thank Him? When you get bad news, do you pray to Him? How's your relationship with God? It's a question that you can only answer for yourself. You can't look to a spouse and get an answer from them. You can't look to a sibling and get answers from them. It's, it's the question that you need to answer in and of yourself. How is your relationship with God? You can't put it on social media. You can't hashtag it. What you need to do is trust in the Lord. Uh, we're going to, to spend a, a minute or two in prayer before Heidi comes up to lead us in our benediction. Uh, Carol, if you would play something, that would be great. I, I don't do this very often, but I'd love for us to spend just a few moments in meditation and contemplation. And how are you doing with Jesus? You and him, no one else, nothing else. How are you doing with Jesus? Let's just think about that and pray for that for just a couple of moments. back into a closer relationship with you and your son Jesus Christ. We love you Lord and we pray all these things in your son's precious name in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>